This is Demo Crises. Democracy, Demography, and Demoralization. I'm Rob Cohen, physician, army veteran, scientist, and your host. I'm thrilled to be here with Christine Woodhouse, director and creator of the movie One Vote, which premiered at the Omaha Film Festival with none other than Warren Buffett earlier in 2018 and debuted as a director's cut at the museum in Washington, D.C. yesterday with a very interested crowd. Um, And we'll let her tell us what the movie's about, and then we'll ask a lot of thought-provoking questions. So, Christine, welcome. Thank you, Rob. Uh, Can you tell us, very simply, what your movie is about? Uh, One Vote shows Election Day across the United States in a way that the media coverage typically doesn't. We follow individual voter stories. You know, when when people see images of elections, it's of the candidates. Um, When pundits or prognosticators speak about voters, they typically lump people together in broad demographic groups. And that's interesting, and we all understand why we do that. But the reality is votes are cast one vote at a time. And I think some of the overgeneralizing about people in different regions of the country leads to a lack of understanding of each other. The, The film is... Very simply, an enjoyable film to watch about different uh, s- stories, different voters on Election Day 2016 in diverse parts of the country. It follows them from morning till night, and we're cutting in between the stories with the the timing of Election Day providing the, the story arc. Um, I can walk through the different characters with you. You saw the film yesterday. so Tell, tell us briefly about the five characters. There were dog sluts involved, among other things. <laughs> exactly. So I knew to make a film about voting, I had to find interesting characters. I knew that myself, but I especially knew it because I have four children who are you know, teenagers, the audience I wanted to reach, right? And they said, Mom, this does not sound like that interesting of an idea for a movie. So I took it as a point of challenge to uh, to overcome my, my children's skepticism. <laughs> So, of course, you had already mentioned the the star character that we have in the, in the film is Warren Buffett. And um, Mr. Buffett spent Election Day 2016 aboard a trolley, uh, taking people all over Omaha to the polls to vote. Um, interestingly, it wasn't just Mr. It wasn't just Warren. He goes by Warren, right? It wasn't just Warren's uh, personal commitment to helping people vote on Election Day. Omaha is a unique story on Election Day because it is in one of two states that cast their electoral votes in the presidential race by congressional district instead of winner take all. And very interestingly, Omaha is a swing district, so it could go one of of two ways. And it makes voters in Omaha feel particularly empowered. There are many scenarios where that one electoral vote from Omaha could change the results of the presidential election. So like with the other stories in the film, we were indirectly trying to educate people and and show the context that the election takes place and the varying laws and uh, practices around voting in, in different states. So Omaha uh, played into that nicely, but it didn't hurt having uh, having Warren Buffett as one of the one of the characters. I would say it was important to us to keep Warren Buffett on a par with the other characters. He's not he, you get to him fifth, right? Out of five characters, so we're definitely not uh, trying to overemphasize him in the film because on election day, his he's one more voter, he's one more citizen, and uh, I, I think that that is one of the things we're proud of in the film. I think that really comes across. The other stories similarly touch lightly on different issues that affect voting, 
and but they're all story driven, right? They're driven by how compelling the characters are. So we did follow a family in inland Alaska. They run a hunting lodge. So this family chooses to live off the grid in a region of the U.S. that's very remote from the rest of the country. Yet, interestingly, on Election Day, they make the choice to travel. In their case, it's over 440 miles round trip to go to the polls physically to be at the polls. They could vote absentee, to be clear. Um, And part of why they want to do that is they take their son with them. So their son experiences the transition from their life at a remote hunting lodge to being part of the community on the day, arguably, when it matters the most. Um, to, To make that trip, because where they live, the roads are not maintained in winter, they have to travel the first 70 miles by dog sled and snowmobile just to reach their car. Then they have another 140 some miles to reach their polling place. So it's quite the journey. Um, it also helps give, you know, beauty to the film, right? The Alaskan scenes are absolutely gorgeous. And I would add that the dogs are fun sub-characters of, of <laughs> your movie. They're fun. wearing very stylish booties. Go on. <laughs> the dogs are beautiful. We made a buttons for the film. And because the film has five stories, we, instead of picking one story, right, you could just put Warren Buffett's face on a button, right? That would be the obvious choice. I was, it was really important to me that we make five different buttons, not as cost effective as ordering thousands of the same button. So we have, uh, the, the dogs in the, in the Bondi story from Alaska are the face of that story on our button. And we realized we have to order twice as many of that button because when we put them out on the table, the dogs are all the, always the first to go. Um, so we filmed at a bar in Chicago called Club Lucky. I found Club Lucky. I literally overheard a conversation when I was looking for interesting stories for the movie of someone mentioning that there was one bar left in the United States or technically a tavern, right? Serves meals and also has a bar, um, that that's a polling place. And I immediately knew how interesting that is because 100, 150 years ago, the most common polling places in the United States were taverns and restaurants because those were the largest assembly places and sort of the heart of, of small town America. So over the years, obviously, uh, municipalities have decided, you know, voting, drinking, maybe we don't, we, we don't combine those things anymore. And so uh, polling places have are now predominantly schools, churches, community centers. Um, but Chicago, and, and a couple of times they actually have tried to close Club Lucky as a polling place, but the people in the neighborhood are so passionate about mm. keeping it that they've, they've managed to over, overcome that uh, in each instance. Chicago's an aldermanic city, so there's a local alderman for that, uh, that district. Do you where, remember how long that tavern has been a polling place? Um, over 40 years. 40 years. Okay. Yeah. So, and it's in an interesting neighborhood. It's in the Bucktown neighborhood of Chicago, which is kind of like the Brooklyn of Chicago, right? It's, it's when I go there, I'm like, I'm not really cool enough to be in Bucktown, but you know, they, they let me in anyway. And of course, Chicago is also the, um, the urban story, right? We wanted an urban story, but we were trying to find something that everybody would relate to. And I, in my very, uh, unscientific experience. Everybody loves Chicago, right? It's food, drink. The Cubs had just won the World Series five days before we filmed. So I think people might have still been a little hungover, but you know, there was still a, that, that spirit of community pride that's always in Chicago was Only especially some of ramped them looked up. Like it, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, and no, uh, you know, the, the guy who owns uh, Club Lucky is beautiful. Um, his his uh, the family's Italian and he uses the 
recipes that were passed down to him by his grandmother um, in the restaurant. And interestingly, uh, when we interviewed him, he started talking about how much it meant to his grandmother, who was a first-generation immigrant, to be able to vote. And it was just not a question that you would ever miss Election Day um, in his family growing up because of his grandmother. So he has a lot of pride. You know, his grandmother has passed on, but he, the restaurant and keeping the restaurant as a polling place is something that has a lot of personal importance to him. And it's fun. You know, it's a fun story. It was. The the heart-wrenching stories, the the stories that really form the heart, I would say, of one vote and the two characters who you met in person yesterday are we followed Michael Heiser in Kentucky. Um, Kentucky is well known to voting rights activists because it's one of three states that permanently ban felons from being able to vote. Other states have different rules, but they all have some process where um, former felons who have served their time are ultimately able to Florida and what's the third Iowa Iowa okay. are able to regain their right to vote Virginia is an interesting situation but currently felons are pretty readily able to um, regain their right to vote because the governor is granting individual uh, permission or clemency to each each case um, that could change in the future so we need to stay vigilant on that front um, I knew that I wanted a story about uh, felon voting but I wanted the right story, mm-hmm. you know, because the film is, well, you know, you saw it. it it's annoyingly nonpartisan, right? They we're not really taking an opinion, a, a position on any of these issues. We're showing the stories and hopefully drawing the viewer in. I would say it's it's provocatively nonpartisan because almost everything we do today, even voting rights, almost comes across as a partisan issue. And I, I could tell as somebody watching it that you were intentionally, it was intentionally nonpartisan. I think in order to make us think a little bit that not everything that we look at in the country has to be partisan, but go on. I think if I want to challenge, we wanted to challenge people who would adopt rules and laws that result in voter suppression to rethink some of their generalizations and stereotypes. I also wanted to challenge people on the other side, right? In the, in the liberal bubbles or the coastal elite or whatever. What's that? Cliche no, way you want to live. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So anyway, so Michael Heiser is a beautiful character because um, he's personally very passionate about voting and also a very unique character because he's a convicted felon in Kentucky, which does not permit felons to ever regain their right to vote. But he was personally able to vote in the 2016 election because of his work on this issue over a period of 11 years. He had uh, come into contact with politicians on both sides, right? I think I can, not spoiling the film by saying he's a registered Republican. That doesn't indicate how he voted in 2016. But he had worked across the aisle with, you know, there are a lot of actually well-known national politicians from Kentucky, and he's worked with all of them on this issue. And as a result, he was granted a pardon by Governor Bashir, the former governor of Kentucky, before he left office. Who was a Democrat, correct? Who was a Democrat, right. Enabling him to vote for the first time in 2016. And it, in two different ways, that vote symbolized for him not just his acceptance by society and being valued as a member. So he, obviously, he, he's very quick to point out he pays taxes and he should be able to to vote, Um but also, I, I think as a representative of more than 250,000 people in Kentucky who would like to be able to vote, who are permanently barred from voting because they're convicted felons. He's a, a full-time counselor at an addiction uh, treatment center. So he's very well-spoken and very articulate. Uh, you know, he throws around terms like socioeconomic poverty. His story, I really felt, um, really 
I mean, they all make you stay, sit up and notice in a different way, but his story with the um, significant issues around drugs in the country right now, um, he really puts a face and, a, and a, an eloquent um, uh, face and uh, proponent behind that issue. So the, it's, a, it's a place where your film stretches outside of even voting. Yeah. I'm glad you mentioned that because really that's a gift to us from this particular character. I wasn't looking for that context, but when we met him and I realized this is a chance to show that side of the drug epidemic in the United States and people overcoming it. And uh, obviously he's very eloquent in describing, you know, how young he was when he got, got sucked into that. A story he didn't share yesterday, but that I'll share with you because he's open about it, is he is dyslexic, right? So when he was a child... Uh, back in that at that time, right, more than 20 years ago, he was told that he was stupid, mm. right, or he wasn't working hard. And so, mm. you know, drug addiction was even more of a, uh, a magnet for him because, as he said, life was okay, right, when he was numb. Yeah, in the medical right? community, it's self-medication. Right, right. And, uh, you know, it was a way to escape from kind of a, a rough existence, you know, grew up in a single family with a, a loving mother who was never there because she worked 16 hours a day to take care of five children um, by herself. And, right. and that's, that's you know. So let's hear about the other two stories briefly, and then I really want to ask you about them. So let's let's hear about uh, Dr. Williams in right. South Carolina. Right, Dr. Williams. So I go to try saving the best for last ah, there. Okay. Right. All right. Well, then uh, the fifth <laughs> story was. No, no. Brenda Williams is the fifth story. Okay, okay. So we have Warren Buffett. We have Alaska, yep. Chicago, okay. Michael Heiser, and Brenda Williams. So Dr. Williams, um, I, I wanted a story of someone who is very energetic on Election Day in terms of helping other people get to the polls. So I wasn't particularly focused on the South, the North, you know, the East, the West. Um, and in my research to find these stories, you know, I reached out to all sorts of different groups, happened to reach out to the ACLU. Um, I, I did want to find someone that could maybe touch on this voter ID issue, which is very significant in many states. South Carolina is just one of them. Um, and uh, so the ACLU recommended Dr. Williams to me, and we had a phone call that was much longer than the movie. <laughs> the phone call was more than an hour and a half. I think I got two sentences in, and I'm, you know, pretty, uh, pretty chatty. And she was just so articulate and so poignant in her descriptions of people who want to vote in South Carolina who are affected by voter ID rules. Um, for example, if you were born in a rural community to a midwife pre-1960, you may not have a birth certificate at all, or if you have a certificate, it's not the form that Division of Motor Vehicles requires in order to give you a photo ID. And it just seems like such a little thing, right? But it's actually quite burdensome and expensive to go back to the state and go through the process of getting a birth certificate for someone in their 50s or 60s, right? Um, you have to pay a lot of money for application fees. You have to get witness affidavits. You typically need lawyers. Um, and so Dr. Williams' story, a little more than you heard yesterday, is she and her husband run a clinic. Right? She's a physician. Her husband is a physician in mm -hmm. rural South Carolina. And she said, Christine, when people come into my clinic, we treat them mind, body, and soul. So if someone is in need of help applying for some form of public assistance or has a child with a special need or something, they'll get involved in helping them get access to those resources. And it was through her clinic and her practice as a physician, which, Rob, you should be able to relate to that. She realized that there were so many of her patients were 
being impacted by the voter ID rules that came into effect in, in South Carolina, particularly in 2012, hmm. not just in the 2016 election. And so she just rolled up her sleeves and said, I'm going to help these people get their birth certificates and go to the DMV and get that photo ID. And you can imagine for some of these people, two of whom are shown in a very poignant scene in the film, they had been voting at the same polling place for decades, right? When they walked into that polling place, every person in the room knew them and and they, you know, they knew the people at the polling place, but they weren't permitted to vote all of a sudden because they lacked this, this ID. They had a voter registration card, um, but they did not have the right ID. And so Dr. Williams has an organization called the Family Unit and the family unit and between that organization and Dr. Williams herself has uh, helped over 7,000 people in rural South Carolina to get registered and to be able to, to vote under the new rules there. A little known fact is that the election of 1876 was decided by 700 votes in South Carolina. The disputed election where Rutherford B. Hayes was eventually elected president. So 700 votes can def- 7,000 votes can definitely matter. The South Carolina is an interesting state. It has an interesting, colorful history. Um, so I, 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 I was a watcher of your movie. I was certainly not involved in the creation. And, and as a watcher, sometimes you get different messages than, than the creator wants to, is intending to convey. So I want to tell you what I gleaned. I gleaned two major messages from your film, along with many, many minor ones that other people probably experienced. The first message, the first theme that I really saw was the remaining obstacles to voting, whether it's geographic in Alaska, legal in Uh, the issue with the convicted felons or institutional sort of this voter ID issue in South Carolina um, or not letting taverns vote anymore is also a a real (laughs) obstacle to probably a significant (laughs) chunk of the population. Um, Now, we've certainly come a long way uh, in terms of voting um, ease ease, uh, since since the founding of the country, but we still have a ways to go. How far do you think we've come in terms of 100% being the perfect situation? How far do you think we've come? And once you answer that, I guess, can you just reflect on the the severity of the existing obstacles that you saw as you documented these cases? I mean, honestly, you, you phrase the question, how far have we come? I think we've slid back a little bit from where we were maybe a generation ago or at least a couple decades ago. Um, there has been a wave of new voter suppression initiatives across the U.S. And to be clear, I'm not expert in those areas. I am an attorney, and I'm interested in those as a citizen, as as everyone should be interested in them. But voter suppression was one of the primary reasons that I wanted to make the film, and I wanted to make the positive, uplifting film that you saw, even though you could make a, a film about voting on Election Day and have all bad news stories and show people getting turned away and show people who are unable to vote. And, mm-hmm. and, and you know, mm-hmm. someone else might make that film, right? It could be a legitimately interesting and good film. I wanted to make something that was positive and that was uplifting to try to touch people and imp- show the human side of voting on election day and and maybe as a, a disincentive to some of those mm. initiatives because you know the way to break down the stereotypes and 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 the viewing of people you encounter on the street as is this person my political ally is this person my enemy is to connect with people on a human level so as you notice, the film starts early in the morning on Election Day, and we show people in their homes with their children and their conversations that they're having. There's only a, a slight reference in each of the stories the first time you see the characters to the fact that it's Election Day. And that was intentional, not trying to hide the ball, but we did want to create a bit of a mystery around each character and have people 
on the edge of their seats, leaning forward to learn more about them, to care about them. Um, so anyway, back to your original question, though. I I think we've slid backwards, and I, I wanted to make this film as just one contribution to myriad contributions that people across the country are making right now to try to counter voter suppression. Okay, so let's stick on the issue of um, ease of voting, um, voter voter uh, suppression, as you say. Um, what are there? There are there are solutions that um, would be hard to get through uh, in in various places right now. Are you aware of uh, any solutions right now that would be relatively easy and would gain relative bipartisan bipartisan support and maybe would be a way to help break through this sort of tribal impasse? You know, once you get a little bit of gain in one area, you might you might gain gain elsewhere. Well, an interesting thing about the U.S. and this provided a lot of good fodder for the film is that voting is typically controlled locally, right, by states and then even at the local level by elected officials who have a broad amount of discretion to control things like polling hours and so on. So some states right now provide a very good example, right? There are states that have um, automatic voter registration or uh, registration happens at the, you know, when you go to the DMV, you're just able to register to vote. Um, New York is a state that, and and there are many other states actually that don't require any form of ID. You sign your name when you go to vote. There are states that have all the ballots are done by mail. Uh, That's both in Oregon and Washington state right now. I think Colorado is making some strides towards that. So we don't have to think of them. We can look around at other states' experience. And for states that are skeptical about what the impact would be of changing their law, they have the benefit of having an example so they can see what's working, what's not working, and and get data from the other states. I think, look, I'm not advocating, and the film doesn't advocate for a change to a national election system where all the rules are the same for every voter. I mean, this is an interesting aspect of the United States that we have this federal system and states have a certain amount of control, but it you could have more communication and coordination across the uh, attorney generals of the different states to share information about what's working. Do you think we'll ever get to the point where we utilize 21st century technology to vote instead of making people go stand in line XYZ, where we maybe use fingerprints and uh, the the internet, which oh. was invented a couple decades ago, right? <laughs> 100%, right? That's one of the... Uh, look, I think that makes my film more valuable because I think uh, you're... Your children, Rob, I don't know if you have any, but when you have one, you're a young guy, right, will we'll not have the Thanks experience uh, uh, <laughs> that, that we saw in the One Vote film on Election Day 2016. The film is a little bit of a document, um, and there's a long history prior to the invention of film, right, of documenting elections in the U.S. There's paintings and cartoons and all sorts of beautiful images of Election Day, including some of those, uh, you know, bar fights at taverns and so on that mm-hmm. used to inevitably break out. But... Um, I'm very confident that, uh, and maybe my, you know, maybe my children, but certainly my grandchildren will vote, uh, you know, via u- using the internet, using thumbprints, using some other uh, better technology than we have now. So we're at a bit of a fulcrum, right, where the voting system hasn't caught up to the available technologies. At the same time, we have this myriad of uh, cultural norms and concerns around voting, around the integrity of the system, and so on. Um, very much like we see in the social media landscape, we we have that in voting as well. Great. All right. Well, I'd like to turn to the second theme that I really experienced, and I experienced it very poignantly um, in your film, and that was, you know, that there is a there's a paradox in the political science community that a single vote 
um, almost never makes the difference in an election. Um, it did potentially in Virginia this year in that one legislative district where one vote mattered. And in 2000, 527 votes in Florida made the difference. I mentioned South Carolina, 1876. But rarely, and even in those states, one vote didn't make the difference. But um, the, the difference on the tally. But where it, the film made very clear, where it made a big difference was in the personal feeling of citizen engagement in the film. I think most of your characters in one way or another, uh, Michael, the the uh, pardoned uh, gentleman from Kentucky, really felt that he, when he was not allowed to vote, it was a sign that he wasn't he wasn't counted as good enough in our system, and and he was he was so touched when he was able to do so. Doctor Williams in South Carolina pointed out that uh, there was the the polling places right by a cotton field, right, and that that carries great symbolism because people that used to work the cotton fields weren't also it was really hard for them to vote, and it was it was a, a feeling of their civic engagement and. And um, one purpose of democracy is to convey the idea that there is the consent of the governed. It's also a way, um, without getting too off track, it's also a way to nonviolently get rid of bad leaders. There's a lot of countries where you have no choice but to act violently. And the, the experience of voting, that's a third theme. Maybe we can get to that. <laughs> so uh, let's, let's table that one for a minute and talk about um, – can you reflect on – how the personal experience of voting, irrelevant to the actual changing of the, the outcome, which it often doesn't on any individual level, although groups do vote and that's a separate issue, and groups do make a big difference, um, but the, the personal experience of voting and engagement in the country, can you reflect on, on that as an experience, as a, as a factor related to the experience of voting? So I'm going to answer your question, but I have to dab my eyes here a little bit because during the dark days of making this film, I just kept going because of the thing that you just described that you saw yesterday in the film. And I had no idea if we were going to be able to use these stories to bring that message. That was the intention of the film, to show how profound voting is at the individual level. And you led off your question with the comment about what difference does one vote make? The the title of the film is intended to be provocative in that regard because that's the obvious question, right? That's the uh, that's the the negative inference. Oh, what difference could one vote possibly make? At the same time, every vote is one vote, right? There is no such thing as two votes being cast together. And um, you know, I obsessively look at polls and I listen to uh, you know the five thirty eight podcast and so on. People talking about oh, this is how uh, white uh, college educated mm-hmm. suburban women in this area are going to vote, but it's dehumanizing hmm. because votes aren't cast that way and each voter has their own story. And if we can look at each other as individuals, you look, I can re- I feel a tremendous amount of respect for people who voted different, differently than me in the last election. And I'm, I'm proud and happy that they participated and I need their participation as an individual citizen, just like they need my participation. And that was, uh, that was really just a different way of looking at election day that is something that we wanted to to bring across um, Eric Glue has talked about voting as an act of faith and that's that was a very uh, very one of the most replayed prod- podcasts I believe from 2016 why voting matters I listened to that podcast and I thought oh this is beautiful you know this is great I think he has a quote uh, it's no accident that democracy and theater emerged around the same time in ancient Athens, right? Both of them break the individual out of uh, her her encasement, right? And get them to engage in society. Um, And I intellectually understood what he was talking about, but at a human level, 
I really got it when we were editing the film and I saw the beautiful faces of these characters on election day. It is, by God, a leap of faith to go and vote because, yes, it's very unlikely that your one vote is going to make a difference. But voting is how we, in the words of a former attorney general of the United States, it's how we teach our children to be citizens right? It's how people who vote pick up their trash. People who vote look after their neighbors. People who vote pay their taxes, go to PTA meetings, and care about the world around them. And by that action on election day, they're conveying that faith in society and their role in democracy to their children. You might have noticed there are a lot of kids in the film, beautiful faces of children, And I'll confess that when I was first studying the footage, when it came back, I was a bit confused because I have all these beautiful images of children. And I was thinking, what, you know, but children don't vote. This is a film about voting. And I think the next day I was like, duh, you know, Mm -hmm. elections are about the future. And these children 100% represent the future. So we we broke a rule in uh, one scene in Omaha where a little boy walks right up to the camera and puts his face right in the camera with a look of curiosity but also intense skepticism right on his face and i came to see that second in the film as this child asking the audience right breaking the wall and asking the audience what are you doing you know you know you guys are responsible for making choices for the world that i'm going to inherit and you better you know, get off the bench and, and get on the field because democracy, not for sissies. So there is so much in what you just said that I want to follow up on. I will try to ask them one at a time. The first one is across the Western world right now, a lot of people are losing faith in democracy. It doesn't sound like you count yourself in that group, but there are a lot of people losing losing faith in, in democracy's ability to deliver the best um, outcomes. And actually, our podcast is uh, really takes a hard look at those questions. So... Um, Let's say it was it was possible for everybody to vote and vote easily. Would that be um, would you consider that a necessary and sufficient condition to produce good government or simply a necessary condition? A necessary condition. It, look, voting is part of the picture, right? So didn't try to I think what James Joyce said a novel should contain the whole world. One vote does not contain the whole world. It's small stories of individuals on election day. But I believe those stories are representative of uh, the power of the individual in a democracy. And, and the power doesn't have to be literal, you know, the power to influence an election by just casting one vote. It's the, the power to be an example to children. It's your power to, as Brenda Williams does, as Warren Buffett does. Um, I don't know if you noticed, but in the film, we frequently cut from Omaha to South Carolina and from South Carolina to Omaha I was intentionally trying to draw a parallel between these two very different citizens, but how uh, how much they had in common on that one day in their willingness to roll up their sleeves and, and help other citizens be able to vote. Warren Buffett told me that was the longest day he's worked in 20 years, right? He doesn't usually go until late at night. I find like that, that hard to believe. Yeah, but no, okay. I don't know. Um, but, uh, you know, voting is one part of the picture. Less money in politics, you know. Um, there, there are many other things that, that we could do to improve, uh, you know, to improve government. But without voting, I'm not sure how we get there. Mm-hmm. So one one question is the the problem of of so-called low information voters. Voters, um, you know, these these are complex topics, and they've only gotten more complex in the last hundred years. Do you think they were complex a hundred years ago? 
um, you know, in theory, a voter has to be able to cast um, wise decision on foreign policy, on the Iraq war, on income inequality, on the opioid. You know, they have to make a judgment about about who's best. And so that that's that's tough. And so um, if you could add one thing to really focus on it, so clearly you're passionate about about voting rights, and and certainly universal engagement in in the process seems to be useful for a lot of reasons. What would, what would be the one additional thing you would you would really push for to augment the power of easy universal suffrage in terms of producing a positive outcome? Um, I would just note when you were saying passionate about voting, the film is about respect for other people's participation on Election Day, people that agree with you and people that don't agree with you. And, and that was a, I, th- I thought it was being very clever in making this film and showing these beautiful stories and staying away from politics. And I was going to teach other people this this message about voting as an act of faith. Um, the irony is I learned that lesson myself, right? Making the film. I was reminded myself of the shared values of so many uh, Americans on election day. Um, I don't know that I could reduce to one thing. I, if I could wave a wand, I would have people view each other with more respect on election day and to it, it, it's hard right we're all human beings i have a political point of view you have a political point of view um it, it's it's very easy to fall into a pattern of generalizing the the point you were just making about low information voters i've had that question at q and a's um we had one in greenwich connecticut and a very well coiffed woman kicked off the q and a in front of my representative, Jim Heim, so I was so happy to have it at the theater, by saying, well, one of the things I take from your film is that a lot of people really shouldn't be voting because they, they're not that well-educated. And I mean, that was the first question in the Q&A, right? I was sweating. But I was able to quite honestly say that I learned myself by working on this film to not underestimate the intelligent or the judgment of other citizens. I mean, that's a trap to fall into that and start assuming that people are not voting in their self-interest or people are voting based on on bad information. Um, that's I, w- I would take the opposite argument of that. We all need to try to assume that the people that we're interacting with know what they're doing. And yes, we can, I mean, I'm a big advocate of Congress looking into social media right now and some of the abuses on, on social media um, as, as a way of improving the quality of information that people are getting, particularly around election time. But I, I, I would caution you and, you know, others of us in, in a liberal bubble to, you know, be thoughtful about those those generalizations. Um, you know, by the end of the film, you're rooting for people to vote who you're pretty sure are not voting the way that, that you would. And that's kind of the way I would like uh, I would like everyone across the U.S. to feel on Election Day. Our second episode is about uh, Athenian democracy, and you mentioned um, that Athens and modern America were similar in in a particular way, and I missed it. Can you tell us what 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 was that? So the quote is from Eric Lewin. He talks about democracy and theater emerged around the same time in ancient Athens, and that really struck me connecting democracy to theater. But if you think about it, it's the at, at a 
abstract level, right? This is the question you learn about in Philosophy 101, right? The relationship between individual and society. We're all little individuals. And of course, democracy is a perfect illustration of that. The, The title of the film is a reference to that, right? Every vote is one vote. What difference could one vote possibly make? Um, and yet we are all part of a larger society. And so if everyone in society took the view that they didn't matter, we wouldn't have a functioning uh, political economy. We wouldn't have a functioning democracy. We wouldn't have social justice. Um, and so all of those actions are uh, a belief, right, that that the individual matters and that the individual can make a difference. And, and certainly... Um, I thought that there was a fair amount of theater on display on Election Day 2016, and I, I tried to use it to to make the film beautiful and compelling and, and fun to watch. Um, so you mentioned also that um, you felt that as people got to see each other as human beings, they were able to drop the tribal partisanship a little bit. Um, can you just tell us, do you have any specific examples of that? Anything uh, it, that comes to mind? I actually... I actually can give you a very specific example of that. So you just saw the film. So the family in Alaska, the Bondies, um, to travel that long journey on Election Day, and, and I won't spoil it, but have an adventure along the way. So for people who haven't seen the film, you have to see it to, to find out what that is. Um, Claude Bondy had said to me before he saw the film in Omaha that if someone had said to him, well, you know, felons, it's really a problem that felons can't vote. He, he said, I wouldn't even have thought twice. Like, oh, you committed a felony, you lose your right to vote. He said that after seeing the film and after meeting Michael Heiser, not only did he look at that differently, he said he looked at it 180 degrees differently. Like he would be an advocate for felons being able to vote. And, you know, that that's just one example. But I, I think it's almost automatic. You said sometimes in your question, you said sometimes when you see someone that can help you a little bit drop the... Uh, drop the prejudice against them. I I think human beings have a lot of instinctive ability to relate to each other, and it's almost automatic. I mean, people who might not agree with with Brenda Williams on a lot of issues are going to stand and applaud when they see the energy that this amazing woman puts into participation on election day. And and by the way, she has no pretense in her head that she's going to shift the result of the election in South Carolina, but she is all about reaching out to people on the disenfranchised borders of society and bringing them in and, and giving them the power of full full citizenship. So another another thing you mentioned, you mentioned that elections about the future and that the kids really want us to uh, do a good job. And yet people under the age of 18 don't get to vote. And and you're you're talking about expanding, you're making it easy for people to vote. Very succinctly, uh, do you think that children should be allowed to vote? Do you think that 18 is the magic age when suddenly somebody becomes capable of casting a, a good decision or should it be younger or otherwise? Uh, I mean, I think there has to be an age. So uh, 18 is fine, right? Now, I come from this as the perspective of a mother. So yeah, would, would my 16-year-old you know, be competent to make a decision? Maybe my daughter and maybe not any of my sons, right? So um, I think uh, I, I don't really have a strong point of view on any of these issues about what states should do as long as there are people of goodwill looking at it and trying to make democracy better and making democracy work. If exp- if uh, expanding voting to include 17-year-olds, uh, you know, th- that's arguably makes sense, right? I don't know that there's anything magic about 18-year-old. Expanding voting to include 12-year-olds, you know, probably not. But I would be more heartened to see 
state assemblies, right, and and institutions of higher learning focusing on, okay, what do we need to do to make democracy work, to increase participation, to make it better? Um, and it's an imperfect world, right? Democracy, who, who was it who said democracy is the is the least bad of all possible? Uh, Winston systems, Churchill said right? it is the there worst form of government except for all the others that have been yeah. tried from time to time. Yeah. Plato doesn't agree, but that's another story <laughs> that you can hear about in um, episode two of our podcast. Um, but one one issue is that the future doesn't get to vote. You know, a lot of the problems we have right now, the issue of climate change, for example, which really affects the millennials today, it's going to affect the millennials' lives. It's affecting them right now, you could argue. Um, the Bondies, right? They, um, they, There was a big question over whether they'd have snow for their dog sled, right? Uh, um, uh, whether they'd be able to get to the polling place that, That's for the making of podcast, but <clears throat> right, yes, right. Yeah, that's true. Um so the future doesn't get to vote, and um, you know maybe maybe a five year old. Uh, I'm not saying that a five year old should be allowed to vote, um, but how how do we how do we get the future to be able to vote? On the contrary, right? One of the things I learned making the film, and it's pretty evident when people go to vote, so many people bring their children with them, but. Even if you don't bring your children, I think most people are thinking about their children if you have children. You're thinking about the future. You're thinking about what world they will inherit. Um, we, we end the film a little uh, a little abruptly with uh, a young boy sitting up in bed. The winner of the presidential election is about to be announced, and then you don't hear the result. Mm. That's not intended to be a pejorative comment on the result of the election. That's intended to be... The result is not what the election was about, is not what the film was about. It's about participation. It's for one day, maybe it's just election day, but let's forget about the politicians that we don't like and think about ourselves and, and our fellow citizens and, and celebrate that on, on election day. But I, I really think um, elections are about the future and, and people voting are thinking thinking of maybe not their children, maybe their neighbor's children, maybe the children they don't have yet. And... Uh, I, I feel pretty confident in that. Okay. Well, we, we, we've uh, covered a lot of good topics. I'd like to end with, we. if there's any additional messages that maybe we haven't gotten to yet, um, I know that uh, your film is coming to, it was supposed to come to 15 college campuses, and now it's going to be at least 50 and counting. <laughs> uh, uh, 15 film festivals, I believe, is is either scheduled or has been scheduled. Um, so people will have the opportunity to, to see it. Um, what... One last message would you like to leave the audience with? You know, there's a beautiful scene in the film um, that takes place on a trolley in Omaha about you know three quarters of the way through the film. And uh, I originally liked the shot because it's a film within a film, right? Someone's taking a video on their on their cell phone. You see a lot of cell phones on election day. And our camera is behind the cell phone. So you see the image on the camera and then you see the, the, the gentleman speaking behind. It's a Hispanic gentleman and he's saying, today uh, I became a citizen and I give my vote to the United States. Now, that's the English translation. We had it translated. We put the subtitles in. And I looked at it and I scratched my head and I thought, hmm, that's not how we would say it normally. Maybe that's a bad translation. You would say, I'm voting, not I I give my vote. And then I, I did a double take and I thought that's one of the most beautiful lines in the film, that translation. And uh, it sounds Pollyanna-ish, 
but I, I really have come to see voting as a gift that you give. It's not just about advocating for yourself or trying to get things your way. It's sharing your ideas about what you, direction you want to see things moving. And you and I may not vote the same way in 2016, but who cares because we may vote the same way in 2018 or 2020, right? It's an evolution. And uh, for when people stand in line to vote, when people spend all day uh, driving people, other people to the polls, when people advocate for more favorable voting rules for felon voting rights, they are giving a gift to to all of us. All right. Well, where can people uh, check out information about your film? Oh, thank you for asking. So our, we have a website, www.onevote.us. And on the website, there's a link to a 90-second trailer. There are links to all of our social media. And soon we'll be announcing there where the film will be available to be streamed and and broadcast. Christine, thanks for coming into the studio today. This was so fun. Thank you, guys. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Demo Crises podcast. And remember, the difference between impossible and possible is one. For more content like this, we'd be grateful if you did at least one of three things. Subscribe, rate us on iTunes, or donate to us on Patreon. Demo Crises is hosted by me, Rob Cohen, and produced and distributed by Goat Rodeo. 